are gathered here today to say our fond farewells for the podcast within the podcast. The boys talking the boys. <laughs> what's up? Oh my every- God. <laughs> I had to go big for the finale. Anyway, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. As I've already teased, it is, well, it's not our usual Thursday. It is Sunday. And it is a special, extra special episode of the podcast within the podcast, The Boys Talking the Boys. Because, Austin, we've been covering season two of Amazon Prime's hit series, The Boys, and we're at the finale. We've been talking, I feel like, every week, like it feels like it's almost over, we're almost there, almost there, and now it's done. We are done with season two. Who knows when season three is coming? We know it's coming. It could be over a year. I have no idea. I'm joined with Austin. Let's skip the pleasantries, Austin. I'm joined with you as always. How are you doing? Let everybody know. And let's get into this. I'm good. I'm good. It's the finale for the finale. But we can't skip the pleasantries because we got to develop our superhero Uh, characters. Have you thought? Have you thought of your name? Austin, I've been going first with these. I feel like you've spent more time thinking about it. I have an idea, but I want you to... I want. How about you go first this time? Go ahead and let everybody know, as we talked about in the past weeks, what is your ideal power... And what is your weakness before filling us in? Yes, yes. I feel like we need to do a previously on Mm, the boys talking the boys. Exactly. So we've been discussing our our ideal Compound V superheroes. Matt felt like he wanted to have the power to remove popcorn kernels from his mouth. Yes. I felt like I wanted to have the power to moisten my mouth when it gets too dried out from eating too much popcorn. Mm -hmm. We then delved into some weaknesses. Matt's weakness is butter. My weakness is water. And now it's time to pick our names. And I had determined that the name of my character is Salt Lick. Oh, that's a good name. Whoa, I actually really like that. That kind of works. <laughs> I did not expect that good of a name, to be honest. With the, with the moisture in the mouth power, Salt Lick, that's awesome. I don't think mine's as good, but I am proud of it. So as Austin mentioned, my compound V superhero would be that I can eat as much popcorn as I want, but I never get any kernels stuck in my mouth. The weakness, of course, being that I can't enjoy the butter along with it because I will die. And I also can't ever go visit a dentist. I think my name, honestly, we got to go with what makes popcorn so good. I got to be Captain Redenbacher. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I was thinking a bet in my mind it was going to be Captain Colonel. Captain Colonel, also good, but I'm going to go Redenbacher. You know what? It could change. For You know what? For not, right now, I'm still a new superhero to the scene, so the PR team from Vought might kind of work with me a bit, try and iron it out. But as a younger superhero trying to get on the 7, I'm going to be Captain Redenbacher. And who knows? If the public demands it, I could be Captain Colonel in a few years. We'll see what happens. There we have it. The dynamic duo. Captain Redenbacher. And Salt Lake. Wow. The Seven won't expect us coming. What's Homelander going to do? He's probably going to murder us the second he sees us. (laughs) Like that guy in the beginning of the season. But hey, we tried our best. So what are they going to do? Austin, like we already teased, this is the finale podcast of the season finale of The Boys, season two. Now, I don't know. I don't know if we can do non-spoiler thoughts here. There's obviously going to be so many thoughts, but let's try our best. So, Austin, is there anything you want to tell our audience that may not have gotten around to watching this episode yet? What were your non-spoiler general thoughts on this finale? I'll just give you a very quick sentence for my non-spoiler thoughts. I did not like it. 
And Austin, I'm going to give you mine as well. I really liked it when I watched it. And the last 24 hours, the last 24 hours, because this episode kind of, I will give them credit. I love that they're putting these episodes out early on Thursday. It's actually really helpful. I woke up from a nap after work yesterday and I was like, oh, I can watch the finale now. It was actually really nice. But uh, I watched it and I I thought it was awesome. And then I guess the downside of that is uh, I've spent the last almost 24 hours before um, doing this recording. And yeah, I, I, I will say I did like it for sure, but I guess... This, this time has given me some reason to like, maybe it's nitpicking. I don't know, but there's definitely some major things I don't like. So maybe I'm not quite as where you're at is like, I really didn't like it, but I'm certainly not in the camp that I loved it. So everybody out there, I hope you guys have your thoughts solidified on this episode. Feel free to DM us at the Arnie's. Let us know. But right now, before we get into that, Let's just freaking break down this episode. Spoiler alert, everybody. If you've been catching each of our episodes up until this point, you know that we love talking spoilers. So we're just going to do it right now. If you haven't watched this episode, you better leave. <laughs> you're going to be spoiled. <laughs> Captain Redenbacher and uh, Salt Lick are going to ruin this episode if you're still around. So go check it out and come on back. We'll be here when you're ready. Okay. So now that we're in to the spoiler section... Let me clarify my dislike of this episode. Um, I think looking at this season of a whole, I am definitely going to have to judge it as a disappointment. And I say that because we ultimately end up back in the same place at the end of this episode as we did at the start of this season. They introduced some new threads and some new characters for sure. But in the grand scheme of things, not a whole lot has changed from the start of episode one to the very end of of this series. Vought is still a threat. Starlight, Maeve, and A-Team are still on the Seven. Yeah. Ryan has basically just been moved from one private compound to the government's private compound. Homelander hates Butcher. Butcher's working with Mallory. The boys are still against Compound B. Nothing as a whole has really changed. And I kind of wish the last 15 minutes of this season had been where we started. Yeah. Because even the little things are the same. Like, Homelander is still very wary and doesn't trust Maeve a train and starlight so it's like even the little things we've wound up at the exact same position um stormfront who wasn't a character in the first season is really the only major casualty obviously we'll get to the other one later but i'm just talking about for like the main story stormfront was really the only casualty of course did we it's one of those things did we see her like breathe her last breath not technically could she come back in a darth vader style return who the hell knows but for right now, if we just assume she's dead and she was like the only major casualty, it's like she wasn't in season one. So now going to season three, they'll just shove a new character into her spot. A-Train's back. So yeah, I kind of agree with you. I, I I kind of felt like as the last few minutes of like the epilogue rolling out, there was really only one kind of interesting thing, which we'll obviously get to, which is Victoria Newman and the Church of the Collective. We'll get to that. But everything else, I kind of I kind of agree with you. I, I felt like we just were retreading old ground from the end of season one and the beginning of this season. So a bit disappointing for sure. And this episode starts off pretty good. I think there is a lot of good buildup. But I think as I was watching it, especially this episode, as I was watching and I was like, okay, we're still doing a lot of setup, but surely, surely it's going to kick off and end really well. And it just never really hit a high note for me, I don't think, in this finale. Okay. Yeah, I definitely, I, I felt that there was some high notes. I really liked the final battle. Um, I liked all that stuff. Oh, I hate the final battle. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, we'll get to that when we do. Uh, but that, I guess, yeah, to the 
opposite of your point, I did feel like it did ultimately culminate in a high point. I just didn't like the fallout of said high point. I didn't like that Stormfront is the only real casualty. Um, Butcher has some bizarre character turns. Butcher, like... He almost kills Ryan at the end of this episode. And then maybe conservatively, <laughs> 15 seconds later, he's like, I made a promise. <laughs> I'm going to take care of her or him. It, it, it's so weird. We've talked about it. I guess he didn't really almost kill him. Like he didn't, he didn't try to start hitting him or anything. He just picked up the crowbar. He picked it up with, he picked that crowbar up with purpose, I would say, though. <laughs> yeah, obviously he didn't like lunge toward him or it didn't come close, but. I think that's what they were going for. Um, so I guess in a weird way, they got lucky that a uh, Homelander showed up when he did. But yeah. Um, Homelander really saved the day. Yeah. And, and it's tough because certainly with season one, talk about a cliffhanger where Homelander kills Mallory, Butcher tries to kill Homelander, and then we think that's the end in that explosion. And then out of nowhere, we like, along with Butcher, we, the audience, wake up and he's in this like really nice looking neighborhood. It's like, where are we? And then- we find out so many different things. We find out that Becca's still alive. She has a kid. That's clearly Homelander's. This kid obviously has powers. And Homelander knows about it. And now Butcher does. And is like, oh my god, what is this going to lead to? And here, yeah, the ending was just kind of... It leads to nothing. I feel like ideally with the finale, you obviously want more questions. Um, you want a cliffhanger. You want to like find out new questions. And obviously the big one here is... Why did Victoria Newman do what she did? What's her relationship with the Church of the Collective? And how will this go forward, especially with Huey, kind of our, you know, audience POV character joining up with her in a new role? So that was cool. I enjoyed that for the most part. But everything else, I was like, I just don't feel like this is a finale in a weird way. Just watching Frenchie and Kamiko walk up the stairs as the lights go out in the bunker, I ultimately was kind of like, Okay, cool. You know, watching Butcher put on his sunglasses as he walks away from Mallory, who's like, you want a job? And he just is like, I guess he's going to take it. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, yeah, I just didn't find myself caring. Yeah, I think in season one, they did a really good job of making you genuinely feel like nobody on this show was safe. And then in season two, it almost felt like they were scared to kill anybody off or really take any risks. Yeah. which I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I I do I do really like the last like fifteen minutes closing shots of this episode. I just don't think it should be a finale, kind of like you said. I I really think this should have been the start of this season, or like maybe episode two or something. Like it just felt like we have so much more to. And I know they're setting up a whole new season, yeah. but this this whole season ultimately feels like a waste. We obviously can't blame the boys as a show for being such a fast hit as it was in season one. So much so that clearly executives behind the show and people working on it were so excited they greenlit season two before season one even aired. So they started shooting this very fast. Um, and from what I've heard, season three is already like well into production. So it's one of those things where when you get a season greenlit before one even airs, it kind of doesn't really lead to too much change because everything seems like it's working. So I agree with you. They, I feel like at least to a degree, the writers are like, all right, well, we, we already have season three. So what are we going to do for season two? And yeah, I kind of feel like once we get around to watching season three, it, it's going to feel like the natural continuation from season one, less so than season two, besides the Becca storyline, which at the end of this season is fully done along with Ryan, I, I guess for now, I, I can't imagine Ryan being involved in season three that got completely wrapped up. So, which I guess is nice because we didn't love that storyline, but yeah, I guess 
it, just in a roundabout way, I agree with you. I just feel like ultimately a lot of the stuff we got, we didn't get that much character development from the boys or any of the other characters. So yeah, it doesn't feel like we this warranted eight plus hours of content, I guess. Yeah, and I, I will say this though, I am I am still excited to see where the show goes. I'm not out on the show by any means. I just I guess I'm just a little disappointed and I'm just kinda hoping that this is the typical, you know, season two fall off a little bit and then season three comes back with a bang. Yeah, I think that's 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 important to mention because obviously you and I are big fans of the show. We've loved season one, so I don't want anybody listening to think that we're being negative for the sake of being negative, because we're not those kinds of people. And I agree with you. I'm certainly not saying that I'm not going to watch season three. I can't wait for season three, because I love, love, love these actors more than anything. I think this is just one of the best ensemble casts I've seen in a while, and I'm so grateful that this show, because whenever the show was first coming out, I only knew Carl Urban, basically, and Elizabeth Shue a little bit. And everybody else, I had no idea who they were, and I can't wait for anything else these people do. So it's like, I'm grateful for that. I just feel like the writing this season was a bit misplaced, and we've talked about it a bunch in these episodes that it kind of felt at times like the Game of Thrones Season 2 effect, where the the awesome thing about Game of Thrones Season 1 is we got to see all of these characters interact together for the most part, or at least in big groups. Whereas this time, with the way Season 1 ended, everybody felt kind of separated and they had their own storylines, and some characters didn't feel like they warranted that. Like, did we really need to see the Deep in this much of the season only for him to not get back onto the team at the end? Not saying he deserves it, I'm just saying that was the storyline. And then at the end... He just is like, he doesn't get on. So it's like, are we getting more deep in this show after this? Because <laughs> I have no idea now his storyline would be. At least in season one, I knew where they were going. So I just hope that season three is a bit more like compact in a sense. I hope like they kind of pair more characters together. Hopefully they take like the notes or just criticize. Or I think like the positives. It seems like people love the episodes of this season that featured more of the characters together. I hope they take that note and they do that in season three, because I, I don't know if I can watch another season where they're all just apart the whole time. Yeah. And I, and I do think it will be really interesting to see Butcher on a government team with like more resources almost instead of just being in a basement. I'm sure he's going to find a way to recruit MM and Frenchie back into the fold. I'm sure they are going to be together in the next season. It does seem like they had a lot they wanted to set up in season two, even though we ultimately do end up back kind of back in the same place. Um, so I, I'm sure, you know, clearly they've already started filming and they've been greenlit. So they do have a plan for season three. Um, and I, I am still really excited to get to season three. I just hope it's not too long. Yeah. And I imagine that Frenchie and Kamiko will be an easy recruit because they don't really have anybody besides each other. Mother's Milk, I feel like would be a harder sell <laughs> since he finally got back to his family. I'd be very curious to see the scene that plays out where Butcher tries to make him come back to the team, but who knows? Well, the scene, I know what it's going to be. What? It's going to be, MM, we're legit now. The government's backing us. There's no reason to be in hiding. You can still come home to your family. You're just working for the government. Yeah. And MM will be like, great, great. I can sell a government job to my wife. I guess. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Obviously, Huey's kind of a non-factor in that because he's uh, doing his own thing that we'll get to and... I did feel a little bit like, does Starlight really want to be back on the 7? Why does she want to be on this team? Like, I don't know. Anyway, I feel like we're kind of just jumping all over the place. So let's go ahead and just break down the plot and just tell me if anything jumps out to you. So here we go. Season 2, Episode 8, the finale of The Boys. The episode is titled, What I Know. And here's the quick little synopsis, courtesy of Wikipedia, the most trusted source on the internet. (laughs) Learning about Ryan from Becca, Butcher leads the boys in rescuing him at Homelander's cabin. 
Butcher brokers a deal with Edgar to have Vought recapture Ryan, and instead attempts to save him and Becca from Stormfront. When Stormfront attacks his mother, Ryan cripples her with his eye lasers, but accidentally kills Becca. Butcher forgives Ryan after Ryan takes his side over Homelander, while Maeve uses the plane footage to force Homelander into releasing them. With Stormfront's Nazi past leaked, Edgar ties her to the hearing attack as the boys are cleared of all charges, and Starlight is reinstated into the Seven. The Church of the Collective also has A-Train rejoin, but not the Deep. Ryan is taken in by the CIA, Huey gets a job with Newman, unaware that she is the super-powered assassin from the entire season. So there is a lot of smaller stuff to break down. However, I don't know how you feel. I I almost feel like we can just start at the cabin because the cabin does kind of encompass all the setup storylines. I think I agree with you for the most part. Um, I guess before we get to the cabin, because I agree, that's where we need to kind of spend the most time. Let's go ahead and just break down some of the smaller stuff before that. I want to get your thoughts on. So kind of like the... um, previous episode where it started with this radicalized youth who was such an obsessed fan of Stormfront ultimately killing an innocent because he thought that they had powers. This episode has an interesting beginning as well that uh, certainly has some real life, um, uh, what do you want to call it, Uh, connections as well. This episode starts with a what is it? A P- I guess a PSA of Homelander. Yeah, it's a it's a school safety video. Yeah, similar to like a hurricane or tornado. Yeah, warning. So like whenever we were all in school, at least I can speak for you and I in school in Texas, we had to deal with hurricane warnings, tornado warnings, and then the most school shooter warning, which is the most relevant to this one. So this one's a PSA that Homelander is leading about superheroes, super or sorry, super villains. What to do if they invade your school? How to prepare? And what do you do? Uh, you follow the law. You follow. The Lock your doors, arm yourself, and wait for a superhero. Yes, very jarring. <laughs> yes. To see these kids like barricade the room, and of course, it was not there's no coincidence that they then show the teacher reaching into her desk, pulling out a pistol with ammo <laughs> to prepare. <laughs> so I thought this was very powerful, very interesting, and it was really cool to actually see kind of kids in this world dealing with a, a traditional like um school safety drill except this time what do you do if a supervillain comes in and obviously the end all be all is just wait for a superhero so this was a good start i felt yeah i love when this show does this sort of stuff like almost breaks the fourth wall in a sense and sets up like a parody of real life with a superhero involved they, they do this all the time for openings and it's always so funny yeah i agree Perfect start. And then uh, before we get to the cabin, let's just run through some other small things. We see Mallory and Newman try and get one of the pres- presidential aides to help them out. And ultimately, it's just like, sorry, I believe you. I don't like Compound V either, but we're just going to go ahead and release Compound V to the masses. And they're like, fuck, that sucks. <laughs> so uh, that leads to some <laughs> stuff later that we'll get to. We see Starlight and Huey. Uh, team up to go visit Maeve. Obviously, Starlight wants Maeve to help her after we find out that Black Noir, after she helped uh, Starlight escape Black Noir, and we find out that Black Noir is in a vegetative state. But it's kind of hard to tell because they he didn't really have much brain power to begin with, as they say. So yeah, what'd you think of this scene of kind of seeing not only Starlight and Maeve interact once again, but now Huey in the equation as well. I just think this is such a great scene from Maeve. You know, when she says she's just tired, I feel like that hits because her character has been through a lot. She's been in the charade with the Seven, I think the longest besides Homelander. So she's definitely worn down Mm -hmm. of everybody. And she even says like, nothing's going to change, nothing ever changed. And she's just totally defeated. Yeah. And again, this kind of ties in with both Elena leaving her and of course the plane incident from season one. 
totally understandable, her feelings, like the fact that nothing changed after what Homelander did. Granted, most people don't know about it is still shocking, and we can totally see her kind of understandable side of the equation. So another scene I wanted to talk about that I found really interesting and I didn't expect to happen was we see, forgive me, I don't know the character's name. I love the actor that plays the leader of the Church of the Collective. So we'll just call him. Yeah, I just call him church leader. In yeah, my so notes. we'll just call him the church leader. Um, we see him and Stan Edgar have a sit-down conversation, which was really interesting because this entire season, this leader is telling A-Train and later on the deep, don't worry about it. I got you covered. I'll get you back on the team. And it was kind of one of those things like, how are they going to do that? <laughs> like, this is just wishful thinking. But sure enough, the big man himself, Stan Edgar, John Carlo Esposito comes and they have this just casual sit-down meeting. And it's the first time we see somebody uh, rebuff a Fresca offering. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And they just talk pretty casually. And I really enjoyed this conversation because one of my favorite parts of season one was Madeline Stilwell and the business aspect of the heroes and their reputations. And I love this conversation where the leader is trying to get Stan Edgar to bring both A-Train and the Deep back onto the team. And I loved, 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 loved Edgar's response where he's like, I'd consider one, because that's redemption. But two, that's weakness. And I loved that. I thought that was so cool. Just like you, I really do like the business aspect side of Vought. I think it's really interesting and does really make it feel grounded in the real world. Um, this scene and then the scene later on with Edgar and Butcher, where Edgar says, like, I don't like Stormfront, but she makes people angry and angry people want Compound V. And then that causes the stock price to go up. I thought that was a really interesting response. And I like how Stan Edgar clarifies, I'm just all about business. And that's all it's ever going to be for me. There's no way you're ever going to persuade me with my morals or anything like that. I'm solely focused on business. And that's just how it's going to be. And I like that too. I think that makes sense. So moving on to a more, I suppose, emotional scene, we do get, obviously, based on the ending of the last episode, we have to see some scenes with Ryan, Homelander, and Stormfront. He just told his mom he hated her last episode. And now this episode, he's already bored of being with Homelander and Stormfront. He's just going about his normal routine, and Homelander doesn't understand that. So Stormfront kind of suggests, let's go on a field trip. And they go to Planet Vought. I think this is such a great scene from Homelander because Ryan gets overwhelmed here with all of the people and he's never been around this many people before. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can see the genuine look of concern on Homelander's face when he turns around, sees Ryan having a panic attack. And then there's a really great emotional look on his face when he flies away with Ryan and then it cuts to Stormfront, and you can just tell she's pissed. I think this is such a cool scene. Yeah, I'd never expected going into this season that one of my favorite couple moments would be these weird, like, fucked up, emotional moments of, like, genuineness from Homelander in response to how his kid is feeling. And it's so messed up because we know that this kid is a product of rape. And at the same time, we're watching Homelander, and it's like, any time, like in the last episode when he's talking about... Look, you got you can't lie to this kid because when I was a kid, the way I grew up, it fucked me up and it made me who I am. If you do that, if you keep lying to Ryan, he's going to become the same way. He needs to be exposed to the outside world. And you kind of are like, I guess there's kind of a point there because um, we don't want another Homelander. And then in this episode, we see that he's overwhelmed. And then you're right. I, I did actually like the genuine look of worry on Homelander's face. And I loved that he didn't even consult Stormfront. He just picked up Ryan, kind of brushed. He didn't like kill anybody. He just 
brush people aside like get out of the well, way and, and he uh and he turns away from all the fans yeah. which we know is the one thing homelander cares about the fact that he's willing to walk away from all these fans and the stardom that he cares about so much for ryan shows that he does genuinely care about him yeah it's really i really like how it contrasts with just a couple episodes ago when he's so shocked about how his quote-unquote stock price has dropped 11 points i like how here it's like he's doing this thing where i guess people don't know for sure well, I guess, yeah, nobody would know this is his kid. He's just holding this kid, brushing people aside. So theoretically, people could just say, what a dick. And so I liked how he just brushed him aside for his kid. Again, we talked about this with the show all the time. The Deep is a sexual predator, maybe a rapist based on what we've heard. And still we find scenes where we can laugh at this guy. It's it, 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 it makes me feel weird in some of these scenes. And same with Homelander. We know where Ryan came from. And at the same time, we have these genuine moments where – it's like, wow, it's actually kind of sweet. Like, it makes me, like, sick to my stomach sometimes that I feel that way. But it's an effective, I guess, I guess it's an effective way to show off these characters and their relationships. And it makes it more jarring at the end when he calls Ryan a little shit. Because mm-hmm. it makes you wonder if, if Homelander's been faking it because he wants basically a second Homelander on the seven when Ryan grows up. Or if he did care about Ryan and feels betrayed when he goes the butcher instead of him. Yeah. I think it's maybe the latter. I don't know. But... Maybe that's something that will break down in the future. So just a couple more quick things. In fact, just two more quick things until we get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. So we do get kind of a fun little scene where Starlight and Huey are driving after visiting with Maeve and they're kind of breaking down. You know, we get some great scenes here where they talk about their relationship. And this was one of the few things that felt like genuine just sweet moments between them that also felt real. Starlight is talking about how... Oh, I didn't care about this at all. Oh, really? I I, I, re- I really need this show to stop developing Huey. <laughs> we know who he is. I don't need any more backstory to him. Nothing ever changes with him. He still ends up being the same character. I agree. Even at the end where he says, I'm not going to be clingy anymore. I'm only going to be clinging to you. Yeah, that was kind of... It's like, you're still clingy. You haven't changed. Yeah, I, like, I it's so... Yeah, I don't need any more development from Huey. He's like, that's who he is. He's the whiny character that is too loyal. No, I, I do agree. And we've talked about this season that I want to move on from it as well. I guess maybe I just thought this scene was a bit better handled. I liked how we kind of actually gave a reason for the use of Billy Joel in his life. So, and it obviously had to do with his mother and then Starlight's complaining about her own mother. And it's kind of just a real life thing where it's like, you know, you can, can complain about what you have, but there are some people that don't have it at all that wish they did. So I thought that was a sweet moment. But who cares about that? Like you said, we've gotten enough of these scenes because in a very fun way, I felt A-Train interrupts this scene, almost causing them to Love crash this. their car. And at first I was like, what's going on here? And then in a really cool scene that felt... Kind of like what I want a lot of these characters to be on the seven where not in real life. I'm not wanting them to be. I'm not saying these are role models. I'm just saying I liked how a train is a fucking piece of shit. But when it comes to something that he believes in, like he hates Stormfront more than most because she's a Nazi and racist. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to break into the church. Well, that's not even why he hates here. I think he even stays more true to his character here because he only outs her as a Nazi because he can't he can't get back on the seven because of her, and he's made very clear throughout the show that he only cares about money, and you never fuck with the money in his words. And right now, Storm Stormfront's messing with his money, so he's going to do whatever it takes to get back onto the seven. Exactly. Like, who's to say what his reaction would be if, for some reason, they were still fine? 
which is we saw a weird scene earlier in the season, right, right before he left the seven where she was referring to, you know, quote, you people end quote, and that pissed off a train, obviously. But in this scene, he's off the seven. So he basically delivers Huey and Starlight to people that he has ruined their lives of more than most. He killed Huey's girlfriend in the pilot episode and Starlight and he obviously have a tumultuous relationship based on her almost killing him and all that good stuff. But in a moment of, I guess... Self-interest. Exactly, self-interest. In a moment of self-interest. Very well said. He gives them the churches, I suppose, their file on Stormfront that includes all of these concrete proof, documents, photos, all this good stuff that shows that she was a Nazi, married to Frederick Vaught, she's been alive all this time, kind of her crimes, that kind of thing. So he gives it to her. And I like, very quickly, right after this happens... Um, they're like, why are you doing this? And he's like, you know, fuck her, basically. And then right afterwards, Starlight and Huey, there's no season three tease. They just release this information right away. And it's part of the plan yeah, to I like separate Stormfront and Homelander. So I love this. I thought this was cool. And we don't get a lot of... And honestly, honestly, with this scene, I paused it right after they send off the files. Yeah. I felt like this episode had been going on for a long time, mm-hmm. but this is only like 28 minutes into the episode. And so I was like, sweet, we still got a lot left, which I was very happy about because I was worried we were getting to a point where there wasn't going to be any payoff at all in this season. Yeah, I had a similar moment where I kind of felt like we were getting to the natural conclusion. I think we had like half the episode left and I was pretty stoked about it. So as Austin mentioned, we're not going to spend too much time, even though I say that, but we spent a lot of time on the beginning of this episode. <laughs> but that being said, we are moving forward. We're, like, oh, we're already over halfway through. We only have one more scene we need to talk about, which takes place before, I guess, the climax. And that is, we got a tease of it earlier in the season, which was when Black Noir was choking out Butcher. Stan Edgar was basically on the phone talking through Noir, talking to Butcher. So it was kind of like this weird like phone call in a way. Um, but we do get a pretty cool scene, which is an in-person, basically the leader of the boys and the leader of Vought sitting across a table and kind of just broker a deal. Yeah, I thought this was really cool. I, I always love when we get a good like villain pain in the ass sit down, I guess is what you would call Butcher. Um, but that, like I, like I kind of touched on earlier, I like that Stan Edgar doesn't shift based on morals or anything like that. It's solely because they do need a contingency plan for Homelander. Ryan is that contingency plan. So in a business sense, it still makes sense to keep working with Butcher. And then on the other end, the only thing Butcher's ever really cared about is Becca. And so for him, it makes sense to work with Edgar because he can maybe get Becca away from the kid and have her back in his life. So I think I really like how neither one of them really shift on who their characters are. They're just still kind of um, cordial with each other because it's in their in their self-interests. Yeah, and I'm curious what the relationship will be like in the future because we see from both the Church of the Collective scene with Stan Edgar and this one, he hates Stormfront because he's a black man and she's a racist. Like the most like obvious example of a racist, like she believes in white genocide, as we'll get to later, which was a crazy scene. So he hates Stormfront, but like you said, he acknowledges that the people love her, so he has to kind of deal with it. I'm curious what the relationship with him and the boys might be, because inadvertently, maybe, I guess we talked about in the beginning, did Stormfront die at the end? Who the hell knows? But for right now, it seems like she's dead and she's not going to be an issue for Stan Edgar, which I feel like he must be kind of relieved by, because now maybe he can put somebody into you know the seven that maybe he wants to be on that can fulfill a different role next season who knows so kind of an inadvertent uh plus for him that stormfront went down the way she did so this was just a cool scene i love seeing exchanges like this between heroes and villains and 
again, it's one of those things where we talk about Butcher being the hero, but in a weird way, he's going to give up this kid. And even I, knowing Butcher, was like, is he really going to do that? When he was saying this deal, like, I'm just going to take Becca. <laughs> I actually laughed to myself because he was like, I'm going to take Becca. Don't worry about her. You take the kid. Who cares? Whatever. Even Ed- <laughs> Stan Edgar, the leader of Vought, was like, you really think she's going to be down with like letting us take the kid? Yeah. And Butcher's like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Butcher had also just called him a ruthless bastard. And then Stan, exactly. Stan Edgar even says, like, you think I'm a ruthless yeah. bastard? You're taking her away from her kid. Exactly. Even he was like, Jesus, that's fucked up. <laughs> so that was a great scene. So as you mentioned so many times, Austin, uh, rightfully so, we're halfway through this episode now. We got to get to the cabin. So here we go. I want you to take it away from here. We get... We get all these scenes. We don't really need to talk about it. We see Homelander trying to deal with the aftermath of Ryan freaking out in the restaurant. Um, so he takes him away to this cabin. Stormfront shows back up. We also cut back to the boys preparing for the final battle. Regardless of that, just take it away. What are your thoughts on basically getting to this halfway point and where we go from here? Yeah, so I guess really the only thing that we do need to set up is Becca and Butcher do have a conversation where she makes him promise on his brother's life that he'll get Ryan back to her. And Butcher does agree to that promise. So then, um, you know, the boys go off on the mission. Uh, they set up this little, like, noise trap to try and lure Homelander away. The Nazi stuff about Stormfront leaks to the press. So Stormfront goes back to Vought Tower. Yeah. Where we have a great scene of, of Maeve following her after finding out she's a Nazi. And Maeve looks fucking pissed. I thought that scene was so cool. Yeah. I thought it was great. I loved how this was used as part of the plan on the boys' part. Where I like how they're kind of adaptable. Where they get this information from A-Train and the last minute they're like, hey, we can use this. Because we can leak this information and Stormfront, wherever she is, she's going to have to go to Vought Tower. So if she's with Homelander... Now at least we only have to deal with Homelander instead of two. So I kind of liked how they kind of yeah. used that to their yeah. advantage for this final encounter. So that was pretty cool. I like that a lot. So once Stormfront leaves, they set off their noise trap. That pulls Homelander away from Ryan. And then Butcher and Becca are able to get in there and rescue Ryan. Um, and then Butcher leaves the phone behind that Stan Edgar was going to use to track his signal. And then they go back to the boys. And Butcher says, Becca, you need to leave with Ryan. I can't be around that kid. I'm going to pass my shit on to him. Please do this for me. And Becca tries to leave with M.M. and Ryan, and then Stormfront arrives and messes up their whole plan. <sighs> so much good stuff at once. Was some of it silly? I Look, I'm not a parent. I feel like Butcher admitting that he was just going to give up this kid. I feel like Becca maybe should have freaked out a bit. That being said, obviously they have a weird relationship where they are still technically married, but they've been separated this entire time. Becca does tell Ryan in this episode whenever he asks who Butcher is, that is her husband. So I get that it's this weird thing, and he does obviously preface it where he doesn't want to pass his shit on to Ryan, kind of prefacing the fact that he probably, in a perfect world, would be totally fine raising this kid. It's just he doesn't feel comfortable with that based on his history. So I did ultimately like it, and I like how he does try and kind of sacrifice, not... I guess himself, but just he wants Becca to let him try and protect her and Ryan. Yeah, he's trying to do the right thing. So yeah, you're, so you're right. So he's like, Edmam, get them to safety. And I, the thing I liked most, though, is I felt like my expectations were a bit subverted where you guys go, you you, you make it. I felt like we weren't going to see him again for this episode. And then two seconds later, the second they start driving, you're right, Stormfront just lands back down. And they, I think, hit the Guinness World Record for most flips done in a car. Most flips done in a car that somebody survived from. I'm so glad you say that. I burst out laughing when Mother's Milk just got out of the car. And he was totally <laughs> fine. Not a scratch on him. He just cocks his shotgun. He's like, 
Butcher, you take him. I got us covered. I was like, how is this guy alive? <laughs> I was laughing. So Becca and Ryan were fucked up from this, and Mother's Milk was totally fine. And Becca's honestly not even that messed up. I yeah, honestly, when they, when the car flipped, when the car flipped as much as I hate to say it, when the car flipped, I was like, all right, they finally killed off some main characters. Yeah. Like, I was sad. I was like, man, I, I don't, I didn't really expect Mother's Milk to die in this episode. Yeah. And then when they both got out and were totally fine, I was like, what? Are we just scared to kill people off in the show now? Like, I, I was honestly a little disappointed that they both survived from this. And then Mother's Milk gets out with the shotgun and says, I got this. And then he's not in the final fight. Hold that thought. I want to talk about that in a second. Because we've talked about this earlier in the season as a fear we had where a show that gets this popular so fast where you're greenlighting seasons before the previous one comes out. I feel like during season one, where the plot was so much so, we're going to kill all of the seven. With that statement of we're going to kill all the seven, I was really pumped for this episode when the opening is the boys are getting out all their weapons. Yeah. They're making modifications. Like they're trying to use what the weaknesses they know to modify their weapons. I was like, fuck, the boys are going to war. This is awesome. And then, and then fucking Huey and Starlight run in and they're like, no, 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 no. We need to do things the right way. And I just rolled my eyes in the back of my head. I was like, come on. We've had like, let's at least do something interesting in this season. Yeah. Cause Starlight killed an innocent person a couple episodes ago. And I know, yeah. I know she didn't mean to, but the fact that now she's like, I'm not going to kill Stormfront. It's like, Let's kill, let's kill this Nazi bitch. And they've also set up like law enforcement's getting compound V. The president's declared yeah. an emergency yeah. status. So they're showing mil military vehicles driving around New York City. And none of that leads anywhere at all. Instead, we end up in the countryside where we can have the space for a big fight. And then ultimately it ends up being a letdown, I felt like. Yeah, I guess that's what I was referring to earlier is like when you have a show this popular and you're greenlining a second season before your first one comes out, it's like... I don't know. It just it kind of sucks. It's like I think these characters are just too precious to them because they're like we don't want to kill anybody off and piss anybody off. So let's just keep them. It's shocking to me that Stormfront introduced in this season again for the third time. Is she dead? I guess we don't know for sure. Maybe she'll come back from this. But regardless, if she's the only one that dies besides Becca, whose storyline they didn't really even seem to care about that much this season, it's like yeah, a bit disappointing. I guess it just. And they don't need to kill people off. It's just, it felt like they were building more so to that. So I guess that's why I'm a bit surprised that this is all that happened. Um, so let's go ahead and get to this. You mentioned earlier that you did not feel like there was a high point this season, or this episode, I, I should say. So I want to ask you, just go ahead right off the bat. So the last thing we mentioned story-wise was Stormfront flipping the car, and then Butcher taking Becca and Ryan and running off into the woods while there's milk, cocking the shotgun, running back to the fight. So now it's the actual, I guess, start I guess really the only fight. So what were your thoughts on this? Because we have Stormfront here. She's calling out Starlight. Did you leak all that stuff? Starts like that's the truth. And this leads to Starlight and Kamiko teaming up to fight Stormfront. And obviously we get somebody else coming in later. Go ahead and walk us through that. And how are your, what, I mean, what did you feel about this? Was this not the high point for you? I thought it was going to be. When Stormfront arrives and the fight kicks off, I was like, all right, now we've got some action happening. Um, but then ultimately, like, I guess the first part of this fight with Starlight and Kimiko is pretty cool. Um, I like how Stormfront immediately blows up the cars with the boys' weapons because she hears him say that. 
Yes. Again, thank you for saying that last part. Frenchie, isn't this guy a pro? Why did he say the specific I wording know, of, I know. hurry, Huey, the RPG's in the car. It's just like, just run towards it and get it. Don't say what you have and where it is. Otherwise, Stormfront wouldn't have blown up the car with the RPG. And this isn't fucking Clue, Frenchie. Don't say what the murder weapon is and what room it's in. <laughs> like, you <laughs> fucked yourself before you even got there. Yeah, so so I hate that all their weapons get destroyed. Yeah. But at least I like the fact that there was consequences for Frenchie being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like at least it shows that like Stormfront's a smart fighter, I guess. Like she yeah. she picked up on it and immediately took out that. So I thought this was gonna be cool when when uh, Stormfront snaps Kimiko's neck. I was like, okay, character death, interesting. But again, and then Kimiko just we know, unsnaps her we neck. We know that's her power though. Is it? I guess I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, in season one they showed more of it. I can't. I don't think. I could be wrong. I don't think she's quote unquote died this season, but in season one, she died several times and she just has like Wolverine powers where she can wake up from it. So yeah, I agree with you a little bit. I kind of forgot about that a little bit, but then I remembered it as she was waking up like, oh yeah, that is her power that she can do that. Let me tell you how I feel about the entirety of the fight after Maeve arrives. Cause so Maeve does eventually drop down. Yeah. It's a cool scene. I was like, I was really happy to see Maeve here because you could see, like I said, you could see how pissed she was when she finds out Stormfront is a Nazi. But overall, I do think this is lame because essentially they just end up in a circle taking turns throwing punches. And it's just weirdly choreographed because when they're not punching, they're just standing there with their fists up. And they really, really need to figure out a better way to have the boys actually be involved in some of these fights and not just have them in the background being like, you guys got it. We can't do anything because all our weapons got destroyed. Like, I just, I just felt like there wasn't, I just felt like the choreography was so weird that they all had to individually fight and take turns throwing their punches and and they weren't like working as a team, I guess. Yeah, I get that. I get that they weren't like, you know, coordinating, like trying to strike at the same time. I guess devil's advocate, none of these people really are a team. Uh, in a weird way. And I, I agree with that, but I still think there's a better way to film this than sure. instead literally having the three of them stand in a circle and take turns punching Stormfront. I agree. The choreography itself was a bit weak, but that being said, man, this was the high point for me because I have not felt this much catharsis in a show or movie in a while. Watching three people that are genuine, I guess, m- most of the time in the show, heroes, just giving the best beatdown of all time to one of the biggest pieces of shit characters in tv i've seen in a while <laughs> i loved it i loved watching the, it the beat the beatdown was the beatdown itself was very satisfying I, I just felt like the actual fight itself was just sure, weirdly sure and me. that's fair but I, I will agree with you that and again it's tough for me having not read the comics it's like kamiko's really the only member of the boys that's useful i mean technically i like, they got lucky with Translucent in season one, who I guess didn't have, like, he could turn invisible, but he, I guess he couldn't, I guess he didn't have super strength, I guess is what I'm saying. So like, whenever they knocked him out. It also took them an entire episode yeah. to figure out how to kill that superhero. Yeah, and ultimately they knock him out, put him in a cage. Frenchie, I guess, puts a bomb up his ass, and then Huey gets the nerve to actually detonate it. So it's like every other person, they're going to have so much trouble. And we even see at this point, wherever Kamiko does get her neck snapped, we see Frenchie, Huey, and Mother's Milk all take a bunch of, like, they shoot her, and nothing happens because she's invulnerable, just like every character on on the seven. So I was a little bit like, where where are the boys, or I guess going forward, they're going to be the CIA government agency. What 
what are they going to do going forward? Because they can't do yeah. anything. So like they're they're What's lucky their plan that they, if they have, don't have a superhero exactly, on their side, which they do. They have Kamiko, but is she going to have to do every fight? And I guess they're lucky that Starlight was with them at the time and that Maeve jumped in. So I agree. I love that these yeah. characters were there. I just kind of was almost laughing that the boys are even there. That being said, Frenchie did have the best line of the episode whenever <laughs> this all ends and Stormfront leaves, and he's like. I guess girls do get it done. <laughs> that made me laugh. I thought that was funny. So, And just to, to say something positive, it, it is very cool to have this, all three of these heroes together working together. Yeah. Like I love that. I thought that was really cool. And the fight overall is satisfying and it's fine. I just thought it looked really funny to have them standing in a circle taking turns. Yeah, I agree. I think it was extremely satisfying, but it probably could have been filmed a bit better, just at least choreography-wise. But So I get what you're saying. So anyway, let's move on from this fight. Obviously, the one character that's nearby that is absent from the fight is Homelander, which is because he is committing a small-scale genocide inside of the cabin. (laughs) And when he walks out of this cabin, covered in blood and guts, dude, Anthony Starr, this guy needs some awards, man. This guy emotes so well. I know exactly what he is feeling at all times. And when he walks out... And just the mixture of anger and sadness and confusion. I just thought it was perfect. And this obviously leads him to rejoining the fight later. And when he walks in to the cabin too oh, yeah. and just calmly shuts the door. Did I hear you oh. say butcher? And then just closing the door. <laughs> yeah. So scary. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Starr is incredible so as Homelander. Yeah. And Aya Cash is great as Stormfront. She does have a silly moment. Not her fault. But I did, I did find it a bit funny. What Stormfront just zooms into the air like flies off from the fight and then she just finds becca butcher and ryan i guess to be fair since she can fly i guess she probably just went over the woods where she saw them run and looked for them it just kind of it kind of it made me like laugh a little bit when she just lands in front of them oh i guess they found her <laughs> so but it was also kind of weird that she went to Vought tower when they looked at the tv screen and then just flew back to the farm yeah it certainly worked as a surprise, her landing back there, because I did not expect her to be part of that fight. But I agree with you. I guess I guess you could say she went there and realized there's nothing I can really do, so I'll just go back to what I was doing. Who knows? Um, but regardless, she lands in front of Butcher, Becca, and Ryan. She brushes Butcher aside, Ryan aside, and just starts choking out Becca. And she's telling Becca while she she just looks so messed up from the fight. Uh, that, you know, Ryan's going to be hers. Becca stabs her in the eye. And for the rest of this fight, <laughs> or this encounter, I guess, she just doesn't have an eye. <laughs> it was like, oh, <laughs> so gross. And then um, we are led to kind of the culmination of a moment that happened earlier, which was whenever Stormfront was trying to explain that white people, uh, just the trials and tribulations of those whiteies in America, uh, obviously completely <laughs> misguided. Even Ryan, I love, I love Ryan. Just like he's this little kid that's like, what is he? What are you talking about <laughs> with his face? Yeah, and even Homelander, dude. When she said, when she said it's white genocide, my jaw dropped. And even Homelander, who's having sex with her, knows she's a Nazi. His reaction on his face is like. Whoa, <laughs> that's a bit that's yeah. a much. I'm sorry. Nobody's ever going to convince me that white people have had it hard in America. No, not at all. Not at all. Regardless, though, uh, this is a culmination from that same scene where Homelander is trying to teach Ryan how to um, shoot his heat vision, I suppose. 
and he can't do it. Homelander tells him that for him, it's usually easier when he thinks about somebody he hates. And of course, this comes back into play where Ryan is just helplessly watching as Butcher is knocked out and Stormfront is choking his mother to death. He hates her. And then he uses his heat vision. I gotta say, I did not expect this. So, again, we've talked about it so many times. I don't care if Stormfront is dead or not. We'll get to that in season three if it comes to that. Let's just say she's dead. I did not expect the camera to pan over and see Becca, like, holding her neck as she's bleeding out. Did you Did you think this was going to happen? I did not expect her to die. I just, I just do think it's very convenient that the only two people that do die are basically two people that we only know in season two exactly. like we, we exactly. don't really know becca from season one it's just too convenient i also don't really understand how she dies because it looks like her throat got cut right. but stormfront's burned to death yeah i agree i was confused as well um but i did see some people talking about it online and it did make a bit more sense where if you think about ryan hitting her with the force that she's choking becca with if you think about her getting hit with heat vision and then basically just like falling back and like that grip she has super strength just ripping away she probably just like ripped her throat essentially i guess it just would have been nice to see it because the screen cuts to black yeah not that i'm saying i want to watch somebody get their throat cut open it just was very confusing to then open up and the the two people who die have completely different injuries i get that i think i think um stormfront being like basically ripped away from her injuries and uh her super strength you know messing up becca's neck is probably what happened but again a bit confusing for me initially as well. Um, what's not confusing, though, is Stormfront has been officially Anakin skywalker from the high ground, basically <laughs> losing all of her limbs. Uh, she is completely burned by the lava pit of Mustafar. And um, she's just muttering her precious Nazi slang and her Nazi language and all that. I think stuff. Anakin was also speaking German on Mustafar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was. Hayden Christensen, famous German actor. So, yeah, no, it was uh, pretty interesting to watch. Obviously, it begged questions for me because we saw Homelander, in a sexual manner, use his heat vision on Stormfront earlier this season to almost no effect. So it kind of begs the question of Ryan being the first natural birth superhuman. Is his powers just more powerful? And he his heat vision, whereas Homelander's, who is a test tube baby, essentially, with Compound V... His heat vision just kind of burns her temporarily. I kind of like the idea of Ryan being like a natural born, just tears her apart. Kind of interesting. Kind of makes me wonder if that will come into play later on as in this series. What do you think about that? Well, I think also Homelander may have just been holding off on his powers enough for sure. Stormfront to heal. Possibly. I don't know if Homelander really let Stormfront have the full brunt of his powers, but I do kind of like the dynamic of Ryan being more powerful than Homelander. I think that could be pretty interesting as we go forward. I do also love this scene where Homelander lands, looks at Stormfront, and then just goes, Ryan, did you do that? Like in like a little, like in like a parent almost scolding their child voice. I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, I agree. That was awesome. Um, unfortunately, as we mentioned earlier, it does lead to a scene where Butcher contemplates beating this kid's face in with a crowbar. Um, <laughs> he basically... <laughs> contemplates, but does not make any effort to do so. Yes, we do get a nice scene between Beck and Butcher as she fades away, where she tells Butcher immediately that this was not his fault. He doesn't know how to control it. He is good. Please make sure to tell him that this is not his fault and I don't blame him. And Butcher, for a brief moment, seems like he's going to kill the kid. Um, but of course, this is interrupted by Homelander landing and into the scene that you were talking about. And 
yeah, I, I love the interactions that we get between Anthony Starr and Carl Urban. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, it, it is kind of a weird ending when Maeve comes in, and this is the moment that they choose to be kind of her culmination of her season two storyline, which is she shows off the airplane footage from season one saying, I will release this if you don't let them go. And if you don't let us back on the team, basically, like, if you keep hunting me and Elena, I'm going to release this. Nobody's ever going to love you. I'm going to make sure that kind of just all the stuff happening at once. I, I, I like the idea of it. And I love Maeve as a character. But again, I guess I was just a bit confused. <sighs> I understand Homelander has an image to keep up. But then why doesn't he destroy the phone? Why doesn't he try and kill Maeve? I just don't feel like Vought would care at this point because Maeve is already such an outsider to them. So I'm not saying that this was the wrong choice from a storytelling perspective. I guess it was just a bit confusing for me. That's all. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I guess Devil's Advocate would be that Homelander doesn't know if she's made backups sure. and somebody else has a copy sure. to release if Maeve dies. Yeah. She doesn't say that. So that's just us kind of giving the writers credit. Um, but yeah, this hits weird. I don't like that this was the culmination of Maeve's story. However, I do love the line where Maeve says, no one will ever love you again. Yeah, that's great. She's once again using another another soup's weakness against them, like she did with Black Noir. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then I do really like the shot how we pan in on Homelander. He hears his name being chanted, and then the chant dies yeah. away, and that makes him cry. I thought that was pretty cool. I really like how you worded that. I like how in the last episode, you're right, we see a physical manifestation of Maeve using Black Noir's nut allergy against him. But in this one, I mean, Homelander's a character, his only weakness, he doesn't have a kryptonite ostensibly, at least not in the public eye, but his weakness is his insecurity. And I like that she just absolutely preys on it in the best way and you're so right i mean that's exactly what she does because the scene literally ends with him imagining all these people cheering his name as it just dies out and it's so perfectly done so i love the ending of the scene it's just it's not that i didn't like the fact that Maeve did this i was waiting all season for her to release the information i guess i was just surprised that this is the way it happened because i was kind of like i guess i was just surprised about homeowner's reaction that he would just let everybody walk away so that's all. It, that's all it is. I'm not saying I didn't like it. It's just I was a bit surprised. Yeah, I I am also happy that Maeve did this. It just like you said, it just feels weird that this is the culmination of their story in this season. Um, I am really happy Maeve finally like chooses to do the right thing. So I am really worried though that we've kind of ended on this high note of like Maeve coming around to do the right thing and and help out Starlight. And I am kind of worried that next season we start off with Maeve. I don't necessarily need her to become like this all of a sudden like all good you know perfect superhero but i am worried that she might regress back to being like still self-interested and maybe still not helping out starlight as much as she could be well as much as i don't think that will happen i am nervous because unfortunately that kind of is the mo of the show it's like how many times have we talked about up until this point how many times do we need to see Butcher and Huey have this weird back and forth where Butcher hates Huey? Huey's like, come on, man, we can do this. And then they accept each other. How many times do we need to see Huey and Starlight trying to figure out their relationship? Stuff like that. So on the one hand, I'm like, there's no way they'll double back on the Maven Starlight stuff. But at the same time, I mean, up until this point, the show hasn't proved otherwise to me for the most part. So I hope it's not the case, but I would be worried that it is. I do think they are going to kind of be forced to kind of be on the same side now, though, since they are both back on the seven at the end of this. Like, I think they're kind of going to have to become like a team of two because Homelander is going to be out to get them for sure. Yeah, we, we did kind of both joke and I guess we're half serious earlier in the season. Where we talked about how it might lead to almost like a civil war type situation. And they kind of have written that. I don't see any scenario where 
Starlight, Maeve, and now A-Train, based on helping them, won't, won't be on the same side. And Homelander and Black Noir, when he wakes up, because Black Noir was also can just tell Homelander, yeah, Maeve was the one that put me here, unless they do some weird amnesia storyline, <laughs> which I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so the team does have division at this point. So I would see it being Homelander, A-Train, Black Noir against Starlight, Maeve, and the Deep. I just don't see how the Deep is even a factor. The way this, se- I and I like the, de- I like Chase Crawford as comedic relief in the show. I don't even know how he even comes back. Like, why would he come back? I, I just don't even know. I, hon- I honestly don't know what to expect from the Deep, or even if he's going to be in season three. However, I, I don't see a scenario where A Train actively works against Vought or the Seven, just because the only thing A Train cares about is money. Yeah, certainly possible. Um, so then you know, with Homelander landing down here covered in blood, trying obviously wanting to kill Butcher, seeing Stormfront is dead, seeing Becca is dead. He's like, Ryan, come to me. And Butcher doesn't say anything. And Ryan, of course, unsurprisingly, makes his way over to Butcher. I think this is kind of the thing that makes Butcher go, okay, this wasn't this kid's fault. He didn't mean to do this. I know that. Becca knew that. So I will keep my promise. I will protect him. Yeah, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I I do really like the lines here. I like how Homelander goes, this little shit murdered your wife, and now you're just going to work with him? Um, and I really like Butcher retaliating with, I made a promise. I thought that was great. I think it's a great moment for Butcher and a pretty cool line from Homelander, too. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. So this does follow up. We talked about it a bit earlier, but we do see Stan Edgar giving kind of this press conference where he talks about how they basically pin everything on Stormfront. The hearing assassinations, the just everything that's bad that's happened, they pin on her and that she's now apparently in a facility, as he puts it. And then Homelander gives kind of this speech where he reinstates Starlight onto the team. He thanks Maeve and Starlight for their efforts, and he just looks like he hates absolutely everything going on. (laughs) And it's perfect. And I love watching Maeve and Starlight sitting next to each other, just kind of not being obvious about it, but clearly being happy with the situation. Although I do worry for their safety, obviously. Going yeah, I, I'm, I didn't expect them to be back on the seven. Uh, I am worried for their safety, like you said, and I'm curious to see how this dynamic plays out in season three. So we kind of, we kind of touched on a lot of the closing shots at the beginning. Is there any of these little wrap up scenes that we see that you want to touch on? I did like that we got one fine, because this is the only scene with the deep, I believe. So I like that we got one final, funny, oblivious, naive scene from the deep that we've talked about that we like this season. I like that the leader of the church comes in and chastises A-Train for doing that. And (laughs) the deep's like, dude, (laughs) or whatever. And then, uh, (laughs) how could you? How dare you? Um, And then- That was you, man? Yeah, exactly. And then we see uh, the leader actually kind of turn on that. He's like, but I like the initiative. And so A-Train is actually the one, probably combined with the fact that Shockwave died earlier in the last episode, who was going to be his replacement. And the fact that Stormfront's gone, so there's no (laughs) ostensibly racism, except I guess Homelander, who's a racist, apparently, um, that can keep A-Train off the team. So actually, surprisingly, A-Train is when he gets on the team. And then the leader of the church reiterates Stanager's point, which is, we can let one of you back on because that's redemption. But two, that's weakness. So then the deep, again, just in a really funny scene, but just, I don't know where he's going to go, but I like that the last thing we hear from the deep is uh, him. <laughs> God, I like that the leader of the church is like, deep, I need you to leave. You're being a real toxic personality right now. I was going to say, I love that toxic and personality the line. Last it's, line. The, it's the same like repressive thing <laughs> exactly. from Scientology. Exactly. And then the deep's last line of the season is, fuck Fresca. <laughs> and then he just walks <laughs> Perfect ending. Again, 
Who the hell knows if the Deep is even going to show up again and what role that will be. But regardless, I thought it was a funny, fitting ending for the character they've set up. So it is what it is. Um, so I guess the only thing I want to talk about that we haven't gotten a touch on yet is that it is revealed that Congresswoman Newman is the head popper. You don't want to talk about Huey and Starlight talking about their relationship again? <laughs> no, I've had enough of that shit. Don't worry, I'm going to still cling to you. Ugh. Wait, you don't want to talk about Butcher giving somebody the advice of not to be a cunt again? No. <laughs> oh, dang it. Yeah, you're no, you're absolutely right. We get a couple of like just lame scenes where I was kind of like, yeah, who cares? Predictable. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, the important thing to talk about here is the reveal that, yeah, Victoria Newman was the one popping the head. She killed Rainer at the beginning of the season, and she was the one responsible for Killing everybody in the uh, at the hearing, which obviously was a bit surprising based on the fact that she was there in the room and she was the one that was leading the charge. She was the one that was trying to get... I kind of want to go back and watch that scene now and see if you can see her eyes change at all. Yeah, good question. I don't know. Um, and she was the one that was leading the charge to get Lamplighter and Vogelbaum to testify. So it was like, what was her... Um, goal there and then we see a conversation on the phone between her and the leader of the church where interesting scene which i thought was gonna play out differently because leader of the church is like they clearly have a decent relationship and he's like we have we have um dirt on 12 other soups so we can replace them i guess with people that they would prefer to have in that role i guess that was kind of the idea um but before that can really turn into much more of a conversation uh his head explodes and yeah. it cuts outside and we see the person responsible was Newman herself. Clearly a super uh, superhuman in her own right. Her eyes basically kind of glaze over almost like Storm from the X-Men. And apparently when she does that, she's able to maybe as a form of telekinesis her power where she can explode the head. But um, yeah, what do you think of this reveal? Because obviously this is something like I mentioned that has gone back to the very beginning of the season with Rainer being assassinated. So what did you think about victoria newman being the one responsible this is one of the things i really do like in these close in this closing epilogue um i think it's really interesting i want to know her motivations i want to know why she decided to kill rayner um i want to know why she's killing the people that she's choosing to kill and I'm, i want to know if she's um i'm curious to know if she's evil like what her motivations are if she's trying to do good in her own way i, I don't know I, i'm really i'm really interested to find out where this goes yeah I was a bit mixed on it. I loved it initially because it was like almost like a Shyamalan type twist where the killer wasn't Cindy and it wasn't the church. So it was like, oh, wow, it was not nothing that we thought it could be. But at the same time, it almost felt like it invited more questions than I was willing to like I was expecting to be asked <laughs> where I was like, what? It was Newman. She was the one there. Like I said, she was the one leading like trying to testify against Vought, and she killed her own aide. She killed A-Train's replacement. She killed Vogelbaum. She killed the judge. So there's just so many different... She killed Rainer. So many different people that died in so many different roles that we've seen in this show. It made me go, why is she the one interested in doing that? Obviously, the answer is because it's a cliffhanger. So we're going we're gonna to learn about that in the future. I guess I just... Yeah. I. I was almost like overwhelmed by how many questions I was asking myself. Like, why is she the one killing all of these people? Because she was obviously helping out the church in some capacity by killing Shockwave and giving A-Train a chance to get back on. And so it was a combination of, I guess, her own self-interest, 
for the church, maybe some for Vought by killing Vogelbaum. It, it was just so crazy. So I have no idea. So I am extremely curious to see where this goes. You know what I'm not excited for, though? What? I'm not excited for the inevitable scene in season three where Huey really buys in to Congressman Newman being a good person, finds out she is a superhero and betrays him, and then we get a scene of him crying in the bathroom to Billy Joel going, everybody always leaves me. <laughs> oh, man. They do close off a lot of storylines here, and there is a way to do it right in the next season where we don't have to rehash all these dynamics. So I'm excited to see if they do that and and really where this goes. Yeah, because that's my biggest thing. As you and I have talked about, I think easily our biggest complaint to this season was it just felt like too much of a rehash of storylines and relationships that were trying to be formed in season one. It felt like so much of the same thing over and over again. So if they do manage to keep these bits closed that should be closed and, you know, actually further relationships instead of keeping like returning to old things, I could be extremely excited for season three because if they close those out, then obviously what does that mean? It gives us more time to focus on new story elements and relationships in season three. And that's what we freaking want. So let's hope that that is the case. I'm praying for it. I'm praying for it. So we'll see. Um, and yeah, that's season two. I obviously I want to say more. I want to talk about it more, people. But that is officially the end of season two of The Boys. And thus, the end of season one. I guess because we, re- we didn't review season one. So even though this was season two of The Boys, this is season one of The Boys Talking The Boys. But... Before you go, and Austin, maybe I'm catching you off guard. Maybe you forgot as well. We talked about when we were going to do this special podcast within a podcast that we would save our award-winning segment, the Arnie Awards, for the final episode. We haven't done it up until this point, but it's time to give out some awards. So Austin, what is your award going to be for the entirety of season two of The Boys? I'm going to give the biggest chatterbox award to the flounders that deep references when he turns over the GoPro footage to Maeve. More than fair. And frankly, I was disappointed that we didn't get to see more of them because they left such I agree. they left such an impact. My award is one that has been kind of itching at me, you might say, for the last few episodes. And maybe even to a bit of season one. But it seems like we can't end season two without somebody talking about this. So... My award for the most fortified peen goes to Homelander. Dude, I don't know what this guy's doing. This guy is super strength. He is just masturbating constantly. People are just hurting this this peen over and over again. At the end of this episode, I thought he was going to crush it, but he did not. (laughs) So the most fortified peen goes to Anthony Starr and Homelander. Wow. It goes to Anthony Starr as well. Yes. Good for him. Yes, because I heard that they used uh, his own peen for uh, these scenes. So quite beautiful if you think about it. So there we go. Another awards segment in the books. Couldn't be prouder. And Austin, we did it. Eight episodes of The Boys Season 2. We did. And everybody listening, if you have any questions about what we just did there, if you're a first-time listener... At the end of all our main episodes, we do give out awards every week. It's our honorary Arnie's Award Ceremony. And speaking of our main episodes, Austin, that come out every Tuesday, like you mentioned, what recent episodes have we done that people can go check out? And what do we have in the pipeline that they can look forward to? 
Yeah, like we've kind of mentioned, this is just a special bonus series that we've been doing for season two of The Boys. If you want to check out the rest of our show, we put our main episodes out every Tuesday. We are currently in the middle of a bi-weekly Star Wars series, so every other week we are breaking down a film from the Star Wars franchise. Most recently, we talked about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. We've also done some really fun debate episodes. We've made some brackets. Uh, We've debated the best movie score of all time. We've debated the best food show out there today. And for Halloween, we do have a debate on the best Halloween movie coming up this coming Tuesday. You can hear our newest episode. It'll be a review on The Haunting of Bly Manor. Ooh, going to be a long weekend binging it, but I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. It is that season, so I'm ready for some new horror. It's going to be fun. Um, Obviously... It's a bit far out, so I guess don't get too excited yet, but I guess I can speak on behalf of Austin, who, uh, guys, it's an early announcement, but the boys talking the boys season two, which is when we recap season three, (laughs) will be out next year. Or in two years, depending on when it releases. Oh yeah, unless they like push it. We'll see. Um, I can announce, and guys, everybody out there. Who knows if this will come to fruition. I know we teased it at the beginning of this season. It didn't happen. But I was informed last night that our very own Arnie's co-host, Keith Baker, started watching The Boys Season 1 last night. So he is a bit of a slow binger, but I do think over the course of the next year, he may be ready in time for Season 3. So look forward to Keith being on the Season 2 the boys talking the boys i would not anticipate keith being on (laughs) season two of the boys talking the boys because if anybody has listened to some of our earlier episodes keith told us that he had been to the office (laughs) for one of our episodes and then he was only through the first six episodes of that show so i would not expect him to be caught up on season two of the boys by the time season three comes out i will say this though if he is in fact on this coming tuesday's main episode of the haunting of bly manor which that would have meant that he would have had to binge nine episodes. If he does this successfully, I would say that's a good sign for the future. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say. Well, Matt, why don't you tell everybody what our website is and where they can find us on social media? For sure. If you want to go ahead and follow us over on social media, we have our Instagram at the Arnie's. Feel free to DM us. What were your thoughts on season two of The Boys? What are your thoughts on The Last Jedi, which is our next Star Wars episode? What are your thoughts on The Haunting of Blind Manor once you watch it? Let us know. We'd be happy to talk about it and read those comments on the next episode. And as always, feel free to go ahead and follow us on our website over at thearnies.media. We have our newsletter there, so be sure to check that out so you have all your updates for any Arnie-related content. And everybody, if you are new, please make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our upcoming content. And also, uh, we are starting to see some pretty good momentum with this show. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind helping us out by sharing us with a friend, that that really does help us, even if it doesn't seem like it. Um, The more we can continue to grow, the more content we can bring you. And leave us a review as well on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you can find us. We would love to have those reviews and be able to read those as well. We love interacting with you guys. So any reviews you have, much appreciated. All right. We will be back on Tuesday for Spooky Time with The Haunting of Bly Manor. <laughs>